Hello and welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We're a church in Newmarket, Ontario, Canada that exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning, Redemption. Good morning. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, or your Bible apps to Romans chapter 8. Last week, we looked at verses uh, 1 to 17, and we discovered three things. We discovered that I have assurance of life in the Spirit because I am a child of God. We belong to God, and just like Jesus, we can call him Abba, Father. The second thing we saw last week was I have assurance of life in the Spirit because the Spirit dwells in me. We don't have to live in the flesh. We don't have to live in the flesh anymore. But we can make choices to live in the Spirit. The third thing we saw last week was I have assurance of life in the Spirit because the Spirit's Spiritual power helps me live in Christ. All we have to do is ask for help. All we have to do is ask for the Spirit's help as we put to death the deeds of the body. And that process of sanctification we saw causes suffering. And sometimes it causes persecution Because others think that we're strange since we don't respond in the flesh to the pain that we experience. Well, today, we're going to look at verses 18 to 30, and we're entitling our message this morning, Our Assurance of Hope. Let's pray. Father, we have just sung some powerful songs to remind us that you are our hope. And so, Father, as we open up your word, we ask that you would speak to us. We long to hear your voice. We long to hear what you have to say to us. So give us ears to hear, give us hearts to receive your truth. And Father God, I'm nothing special. I just want to be your messenger this morning. And so Lord God, may we all hear what you have to say. And Father, thank you for loving us so much that you've given us Jesus, you've given us your spirit, you've given us your word. And so it's in Jesus' name that we come to you now. Amen. Romans 8, verse 18, is Paul's transition statement from the first 17 verses into what he's going to lay out for us in the next few verses. So let's read verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What a bold statement. He's saying that all the misfortunes, all the calamities, 
all the evils, all the afflictions, the sufferings, and the pains that he has experienced and that he has seen in others, all that is nothing compared to what's coming. Nothing. That is a pure statement of hope. In Paul's mind, hope is the expectation of good things, of joyful things, of a confidence of seeing God's glory in its fullness, in its richness. So the the present time is not to take our eyes away from what is to be revealed. The hope is in what is yet to come. But you know, it's more than that. And as we will see, Paul's belief and his desire for our belief is that nothing on this side of Jesus' return will take us away from our hope in Jesus Christ. He is saying in the midst of the personal pain and suffering, don't throw away your life in the Spirit. Don't throw away your hope in what God has promised. Because our hope is not merely in what is promised, but in who promised it. Our first point today is this. I have assurance in hope because I am not alone in the struggle. Let's look at verses 19 to 23. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, But because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation... But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Did you catch those words? He's putting human qualities on nature. Look at it again. Creation is waiting eagerly longing, experiencing futility, in bondage to corruption, to decay, trying to get freedom, groaning together in the pains of childbirth. Something happened. Paul tells us in verse 17 that we suffer with Christ, but he doesn't want us to stay there. He doesn't want us to feel sorry for ourselves, thinking that we are the only ones that are suffering. He puts our suffering in the larger context 
of the world of creation to show that our individual suffering is part of a much larger chaos and crime. Creation is caught up in the suffering too. How did this happen? Well, earlier in this letter, in Romans chapter 5, verse 14, the apostle says, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. He is recalling Genesis chapter 3, and he's recalling Adam's transgression. When Adam took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he ate it, that fruit was forbidden by God. But Adam walked away from God's word, and he set himself up to live in the flesh. He was living in the flesh by desiring the very thing that would separate him and his descendants from God. In Romans chapter 8, we can say that, or Romans 8 uh, verse 7, we can say the same thing that Paul, uh, that Adam rather, did not submit to God's law. That was the law of not eating the fruit. That he set his mind on the things of the flesh and that action produced death. Why did this affect creation? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, God brought Adam and Eve to account for their sin. And in order to show the ripple effects of their sin, God cursed the ground. And as Paul says in verse 20 of today's text, creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. It was a sentence arising out of justice for the outrageous offense to God's character and his nature. It was a judicial judgment that brought all of creation and all of humanity under the sentence of decay and death. It wasn't Adam who subjected creation to futility. It wasn't the devil who subjected creation to futility. It was God. And I know it was God because of the two words at the end of verse 20. In hope. Adam had no power at that moment to do anything in hope. And the devil doesn't do anything that has hope in it. Only God could bring about the sufferings of this present time in hope. In hope of what? Or who? In verse 2, we read 
that the law of sin and death was enacted because of the disgraceful deed of Adam against God. Now, unless we understand that sin is a shameful and scandalous act against the holy, righteous God, we might think that his judicial sentence of subjecting creation to futility in the Garden of Eden is an overreaction. But sin is an affront to the glory of God. Sin brings pain and suffering and death. And God subjected creation to futility and corruption and death to make the horror and the reality of sin so blatantly obvious to our minds that we could not miss it. But verse 20, in hope, that means that God has a bigger picture in mind. In hope means that God and only God can bring about a change in the law of sin and death. In hope means that he has a plan. In hope means that there is change coming to the state of bondage for creation and for humanity. Verses 3 and 4 of this chapter tells us the what and the who of those words in hope. Take a look at them. Verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. As we saw last week, the condemnation that came from God's judicial decree was placed on Jesus Christ. We were just singing about that too. And the penalty has been paid by his blood on the cross. We are declared right now not guilty. But there's a, there is a, a, a not yet realized aspect to this gracious work of God. And until, until God brings about the completion of his plan, verse 22 says this to us. It says that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I have had the privilege of witnessing three childbirths of our three sons. And even though I wasn't physically involved in that 
apart, I think I can say that the best thing about the pains of childbirth is what's coming. The groanings of pain change to cries of joy. The pain screams that something is coming that is worth the labor. New life. And the apostle uses this word picture to show what is currently going on in the world. There's pain, but something is coming that will undo the suffering and the futility and the decay and the groanings. Creation is groaning as it waits with eager longing, the apostle says, for the birth or, or for the full glorious revealing of the children of God. Then the apostle moves back into human territory and, and he echoes creation's anticipation. We groan inwardly. We wait eagerly. We want our adoption to be realized in its fullness by the redemption of our bodies. And then, verses 24 and 25. For in this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. All of this that he has just said points us to the truth that our current pain is not in vain. We are not alone in our suffering. It points us to the bigger picture it points us to the hope of our inheritance. And so the apostle says, so wait for it with patience. That brings us to point number two. I have assurance of hope because God is working all things for my good. Let's take a look at verses 24 to 28. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. After the creation intermission... The apostle gets back to the Spirit's work within us. We must not dwell on the personal suffering so that they take us away from Christ, 
But we must realize that we are in a system that is bound to corruption until the hope that God has planned comes about. And so we can wait patiently, and we must wait patiently for God to complete His work and His purposes. My weakness would have me give up. My weakness would say, it's just not worth it. My weakness would give in to the flesh. My weakness would make me forget I'm a child of God. My weakness would make me leave Christ. My weakness would neglect the Spirit who dwells in me, except for verse 26. Likewise, or or in the same manner, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In what manner? The same manner that earlier he sets us free in verse 2. The same manner that he gives life and peace in verse 6. The same manner that he gives righteousness in verse 10. The same manner that he empowers us to put to death the deeds of the body in verse 13. And the same manner that he witnesses to our adoption as children of God in verses 15 and 16. So, in the same manner, in the same manner that he works for our good in these And many more ways, the Spirit helps us in our prayers because we do not know what to pray for. As we experience the suffering of our own lives and as we witness the the futility, the decay, and the groanings of creation, we are at a loss as to, to know how to pray for change. What does the verse say, though? But the Spirit. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We need to pause here for a moment, okay? The very one who has been given to us as a seal of what Christ did on Calvary, the very one who dwells in us to influence us and bring us life and peace is the one who also intercedes personally. Personally. Oh my goodness, that's exciting. The Spirit himself. He personally intercedes for you and for me. And because of his relationship with the Father, he prays through our groanings. And the Father, we're told here, who who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Don't miss this. 
God the Spirit intercedes personally for us, and the sense here is that his prayers are effective to accomplish exactly and completely what God wants. I may be weak in prayer, but the Spirit is powerful in intercession for me. You may be weak in prayer, but the Spirit is powerful in intercession for you. Now, this is not saying that we do not need to pray. In fact, it's saying just the opposite. In the moments when we feel that the futility of life and the corruption and the decay of our bodies and the wordless frustration of our situations are there, those are the times we need to pray, even if it is only in groaning. Pastor H.B. Charles, Jr., says this about prayer. The things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. The Scripture says here that even in our groanings, the Spirit is interceding for us to our Abba Father to bring about what is good for us. And one of his prayers is explained in the precious words of verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The word that Paul uses here for love is agape. We know that it is the highest kind of love. No restrictions, no conditions, no hesitations, but just love. The Spirit's prayer for us is that we would have unconditional love for God just as he has for us. And so the Spirit prays for me. The Spirit prays for me when I feel the pains of aging. He prays that I would love God. When I witness the tragedies of life around me, He prays that I would love God. When I suffer the loss of, of someone I love, I would love God. When I experience the consequences of my sinful flesh, he prays that I would love God. When things are going well and I fail to love God and I love myself more, the Spirit is interceding and praying that I would love God. The Spirit's intercession for us is that the will of God would be done in our lives for our good in the midst of the suffering and calamities so that his purposes are accomplished, so that his glory is revealed. How do we know this? 
because of verses 29 and 30. And that leads us to our third point. I have assurance of hope because I have been called according to God's purposes. Let's read 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. These verses are power-packed because they prove that even in the judgment of Genesis chapter 3, where God placed everything in creation under a futility sentence, he did so knowing that he would also bring about the redemption and salvation of humanity and then release creation from its sentence. Verse 19 says that the creation is is waiting with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And verse 21 says that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation is waiting for God to reveal the plan of his redemption for his children. And the key is God's completion of the sentence he righteously set out in Genesis chapter 3. And you and I, we are part of that revelation. Until then, the plan of God is that he would choose those who would be his children. The plan is that he would make them to be in the same image as his son. Jesus, who became human, God's plan of redemption is that I would be conformed to the image of Jesus. God's plan of redemption is that you would be conformed to the image of Jesus. In verse 17, we read that as children of God and heirs of Christ, we may suffer with him. Well, we know from the biblical record that he has already suffered. We, we read of his passion and his torture, his death and his resurrection. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, it says that Jesus was made perfect through suffering. This means that his righteousness was made complete through what he suffered Now, we know that he was sinless, but the suffering proved to be a perfecting of his righteousness. It was completing what he had to learn in practice and in pain what it means to obey. That's how he can be our perfect high priest, how he can relate, he empathizes with us. He knows what suffering is like. 
And that image of the obedient Son of God is the one that Abba Father wants us to become. We learn what obedience means by loving God even in the midst of the futility and the suffering of our lives. The groanings that we express and, the, and, and that the Spirit uses to take to the throne of mercy and grace on our behalf are all working together to bring about the purposes of God. Quoting again from Pastor H.B. Charles Jr., he says, It is the will of God to have the Spirit of God Use the word of God to make the children of God look like the Son of God. Now, I don't want to be presumptuous, but I think he's missing one little phrase there. So, if you'll bear with me, I'm going to add to it. And it goes like this. It is the will of God to have the, to have the Spirit of God use the word of God to make the children of God look like the Son of God for the glory of God. Even as Adam was dragging himself and the rest of creation into the abyss, God had a purpose. His name would be honored. His creation would be restored. His children would be redeemed. His son would be the firstborn among many brothers. His glory would be revealed. His whole plan and purpose and nature would be rightly and properly recognized, and he would be revealed and glorified. And he would do that by setting out the plan for his children. God knew beforehand, that is, he foreknew what he was going to do. He decided beforehand, that is, he predestined that his children would follow in the righteous footsteps of their older brother, Jesus. Abba Father knew that he would call his children, justify his children, and glorify his children. He knew all this. He had a plan. Adam's sin did not sway God from his purpose. Your sin, my sin, does not sway God from his purpose. He has been determined from the beginning to bring me to the point where I look like Jesus Christ in all his glory. God has been determined from the beginning to bring you to the point where you look like Jesus Christ in all his glory. The suffering I face, the, the pain I endure, the tragedies, the calamities are all part of the conforming process in my life to make me look like the Son of God so that so that. I will enjoy the glory that Abba Father has prepared for me. And so it is with you. You are not alone in the struggle. You are not without help in the suffering that you are facing or the suffering that you will face. You are not neglected in the groanings that, that can't express the pain you feel in the futility of life. 
Your life is not futile. Your life is not without purpose. Your life is being carefully and lovingly shaped by the intercessions of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. He is following the direction and the plan of Abba Father. He is following that plan to bring you to glory, to make you worthy of the calling that God has on your life. And as the apostle, as the apostle reveals in, in the remainder of this chapter 8, he says that there is nothing on this side of creation or in the spiritual realms that can or will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. Our hope is in the one who has known about all of this from the beginning. Our hope is in the one who has predestined all this and will work all things together for our good. Our hope is in the one who has called us his children. Our hope is in Abba Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope is that on the day when all things are made right and we see Jesus face to face, our minds, our bodies, our hearts will be so changed by what God did in us and through us and despite us here on earth that nothing will impede our enjoyment and our consumption of Jesus Christ in his glory. That's what I hope for. How about you? Let's pray. Almighty God, Abba, Father, as we seek to absorb your word this morning, we ask that in your grace and in your mercy that we would be willing to allow you to do the very things that you desire to do in our lives. that we would be submissive to the Spirit as He sways us, as He influences us. That we would not be, be taken away from our hope in You and our hope in what You are going to do. Lord God, it calls for us to wait with patience. And so, Abba, Father, we wait on you. Lord God, go with us now as we remember all these things. Holy Spirit, implant them in our minds and in our hearts. And Lord Jesus, may you be glorified as we live out our lives in your name. In your name we pray, amen.
Well, redemption, it has been good to worship with you this morning. Remember, in all things, God is working out good in your lives. Go now. You are loved. Have a great day.